Lives Matter. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan. And with us today is co-host Colt Mallison. Hey, how you doing? Hi, hi. hi. So our special guest is Kofi Antwi. Uh, Welcome, Kofi. So Kofi Antwi is a writer of poetry, nonfiction, and fiction. He is a graduate of uh, St. Joseph's St. Joseph's College MFA Creative Writing Program. Kofi teaches English at St. Joseph's College. The writer was born in Brooklyn and raised in Staten Island by parents of Ghanaian descent. His poetry has been published by Writers Guild, Rise Up, Gombe Media, Breadcrumbs, and Rigorous. Kofi has forthcoming poetry chapbook from County Wapas Press, titled Tidal Wave. So, uh, yeah, so why don't you start the conversation off with your writing? You just released Tidal Wave. Uh, tell us a bit about that, and uh, what was the what was the impetus behind writing it? Um, so, yeah, Tidal Wave is a collection of poetry um, heavily influ- um, influenced by hip-hop, uh, break beats, and um, it was published last year by Cattywampus Press, uh, which is a small press in um, Massachusetts. Um, Sammy uh, Greenswald had helped me and assisted me uh, to bring this book, chat book to life. Um, throughout Tidal Wave, I'm exploring um, the visceral social conditions black and brown people deal with within uh, the United States. Um, and it travels throughout Staten Island to New York City as well. Yeah, good, uh, good. Um, and tell us a little bit about your writing in general. Uh, how, is this is this your first chapbook or is this your first published work or how is it? Um, sorry, VJ. Yes, uh, my connection is a little bit bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is my first uh, body of work. Um, I've had some of my poems and short stories published by literary journals and literary magazines, um, but this is my first collection of uh poetry yes okay and tell us where you were born and where you grew up uh where is your where is your um you're saying we were saying in the introduction you have Ghanaian descent um so tell us a bit about kind of your earlier life right um so I was born in Brooklyn um my parents are from Ghana uh majority of my family is from Ghana um so my connection to Ghana uh runs through my parents and my elders as well um, my greatest connection to Ghana, I would say, is obviously my name, uh, Kofi, which means born on Friday. Um, and the native language in Ghana that my family speaks is tree. So, uh, so first word, well, not first word, uh, and to say means, hello, how are you doing? Um, so hello, everyone. Um, <laughs> So my connection to Ghana also is evident in Tidal Wave. Um, I enclosed the book discussing uh, The Door of No Return, which is a historical landmark, uh, not landmark, historical point in Ghana's history where um, our ancestors were passed through those doors uh, and to never return. So, um that is also prevalent within my book as well and in my writing. Thank you. Thank you. 
So uh, one of our questions, the standard questions are about, you know, finding truths and discovering our truths and helping that, uh, you know, helping that to empower ourselves in our communities. So what do you consider an essential truth that you believe is undervalued by society? Um, I, so that question, I would say, hmm, how would I answer that? I would say honesty. Um, when I look at our society as a whole, um, most of the individuals are looking for answers when it comes to uh, social issues. Uh, I would say from political leaders, uh, community organizers, and just uh, entertainers. So I would say honesty, uh, because it seems, uh, especially during the pandemic last year, we noticed how, when I say we as a community or uh, just the world, uh, as we observed the pandemic, we noticed uh, politics was at the forefront, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where uh, people were being chastised if they weren't, weren't wearing a mask or following uh, COVID protocols. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say honesty would be uh, a truth that... Um, is lacking in our society. Yeah, I mean, it seems like what you're saying is that um, the political social norms have um, clouded. You know, in other words, like what we're saying is that biased, high, heavily biased, heavily, heavily biased uh, information is being give, disputed, is being given out, dispensed, and uh, you know, we're not able to get to the truth because um, you know it's just so biased. You know, it's so biased. So, so what an agenda. With an agenda, it's like honesty is something without an agenda. I guess I understand you to be saying, like when you're honest, you're not coming into the situation with an agenda. Rather, you're being transparent, and this kind of goes along with honesty. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Um, for example, uh, maybe we can go into something more topical um, that addresses this. Uh, in the news recently, uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh, emails have been the center of attention, right? Um, And then also the disinformation that the public was receiving throughout the time of the pandemic. The pandemic is uh, hopefully slowly, I shouldn't say slowly, quickly is going to uh, be a thing of the past, we would hope. Um, But we've, that is something that is in the news now where um, there's information that is obviously uh, presented to the health physicians and those who are, you know, um, in the know of science. And it seems that some of that information, not just Dr. Fauci, was given an example how um, sometimes the information is not ready for the gen- general public. And why is that? Uh, honesty, uh, agenda, like you said as well. So those are things that I've, you know, noticed uh, over time that uh, when it comes to uh, politics, that, you know, honesty is usually not their friend. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Hey, Kofi, I, uh, I'm Colt Malice and that's my, my alias. But uh, anyways, I'm interested with the hip hop. Do you want to speak about hip hop a little bit? Because I, I think it, it kind of, you know, it's like the voice of a nation kind of. It's kind of a, you know, it's a it's a lot of. It's it, it influences so much, I think. So, do you, do you want to just mention some band, some artists you like, and stuff like that? 
some of the artists that I like um, currently and in the past. Uh, so I would say um, artists that I always go back to listen to their music, uh, Nas, Nasir Jones, um, DMX. DMX was a, a favorite of mine as a child. Uh, and uh, currently I, I listen to a lot of Joey Badass, J. Cole, um, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, I, I usually like uh, what people will say backpack rappers, uh, rappers mm. that have uh, a message or some sort of poetry within their their rap or, or music, I should say. Yeah. yeah. And how do you see them? Uh, how do you see the How do you see the role of music and, and poetry by extension as uh, being a critic of society or being kind of critical of society? And, and in what way do you feel that uh, you emulate or, or aspire to be critical of, or be, give a critical lens to the way in which society is governing itself? Well, I mean, music plays a vital role. I mean, hip hop at the core of hip hop um, expressed what the community was going through. Mm. Right. Um, so I believe hip hop has that advantage where it is also considered a young person's uh, game or, or genre. So that would allow the youth to intake that uh, messages that they have. Uh, so that that's why I usually lean on more so conscious rappers, uh, rappers that have a message uh, that enlightens more so than, you know, the bling and, 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 and the vulgarness. I, 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 I listen to that as well, but, you know, I have a mixture in my tape deck. Do you think? Any- oh, OK, go ahead. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Hello. Oh, oh. Wait, hang on. Yeah. Right. OK. Yeah, go ahead. I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Oh, right, go ahead. Indeed. Coffee? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I lost you there. for a second. Yeah, I lost you for a second. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, so yeah. Um, so the role of hip-hop, um, it, it influence, influences the youth, uh, pop culture as well. Um, I believe hip-hop is... Um, a revolutionary act, right? Um, to stand up and speak and use your voice in a, a unique way where you're able to break through tension. Um, and also, you know, the young, uh, whenever I think of hip hop, I always think think of the younger generation because when I first started listening to music, I was, or hip hop, it's probably like 12 or 13. Um, and I remember the first song that I probably heard was probably Tupac's. Um, so, Um, Um, Hip hop does play a role in hip hop and and also Tupac. We also, if you are familiar with with, um, Tupac's music and his 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 legacy, his mother was a civil rights uh, activist, excuse me, not civil rights activist, but she was a she was an activist um, in California at the time. And so, um, you know, I guess uh, hip hop does have that correlation with uh, that social consciousness. Do you think there's going to be like new voices come out of the pandemic and the, you know, the protests and George Floyd, do you think there's going to next few years, there's going to be like kind of a, like a, like a more interest in hip hop and stuff. Cause I remember as a teenager in 1992, uh, with the Rodney King trial and then protests, it's a, uh, it just turned into so much creative energy during that time. So I'm wondering if like, 
if you forecast that the, something's going to happen in the next few years with music or, or hip hop or music in general? Um, I I don't know if artists will be birthed because of the social conditions that we've uh, been facing in America and, and globally. Um, but I do notice that even artists that are con- considered mainstream uh, and not conscious rappers have been uh, incorporating or using their voice. Uh, for example, Little Baby is an artist and he's a popular artist uh, in the younger generation. And his music is not catered to the conscious listener. Um, but during that time of the George Floyd murder, uh, he used his platform to make a song that uh, captured the world and, you know, was played throughout the radio and, and mainstream. So I do believe that artists have the opportunity that are out now to use their voice um, because the bigger your platform, um, the more your your voice can amplify the message. Yeah. And also we're talking about empowerment of ourselves and our communities. That's one of the major themes and how we can kind of, bring to bear the kind of uh, the cr- critical critical eye to the disempowerment or the kind of display, the, dis- the uh, disparity between power, you know, uh, the kind of... So anyway, my point is, uh, in what way does uh, like a truth act as your empowerment? Like what way is some, what specific truth that kind of helps you feel empowered, helps your community feel empowered, that you feel like, okay, I can bring this forward and, and really shine the light on some specific thing, you know? Um, I mean, I, I believe just speaking your mind from an unbiased perspective, um, that is important. Um, that is a truth, an act of truth uh, that reinforces empowerment. Um, using your voice, uh, whatever voice you have, if you're a teacher or if you're a social worker, uh, to amplify the message that you're trying to get across, right? Um, because empowerment comes from so many different um, avenues. Uh, sometimes we're used to, when I say us, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking us in, in the room. Uh, we're, we're probably used to looking at politicians or um, government leaders to uh, to empower us. Uh, but I think that empowerment is going to come from the, the next generation. And they're finding different ways to amplify their voice, to use their voice uh, so it could spread globally. Um, so using uh, your voice unbiasedly uh, and just speaking out. Um, yeah. So it yeah. seems like bias seems to be a big thing because it seems like when we think about our own voice and, and understanding where we're coming from, uh, you know, acknowledging that the limits of where we're coming from at the same time, at the same time we're, we're being open, we're having that beginner's mind, we're able to, to listen to, uh, we're able to showcase what our truth is and what's honest for ourselves, but also understand that, you know, a more humility. I think when it comes to, um, the, the media and all this kind of thing, they're presenting this objective fact. They're projecting, they're projecting their opinion as being objective. Whereas I think when honestly, when we're honest and when we're transparent, we're understanding that we're, we can never know in a sense what the object, if there is an objective fact. And I would like your opinion on it. Like, whether or not you think there is objective reality or whether or not you think there is an objective fact. Because when we're talking about honesty, we're really coming from a point of view of like, this is my truth and owning, owning our own truths 
and whether or not there's anything that's communally true for everyone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I believe that with the information era that we're in, right. Um, I believe some people don't know that they're not using, uh, that they're not formulating their own thoughts, right? Um, because we have social media, we have uh, technology so ready, readily access to uh, our younger individuals that they're taking in information that they may not agree with. Uh, but since it's spread such uh, widely, um, it is hard for them to even decide what is the truth and what has been presented to them in a, a manner of being unbiased, right? Like, uh, I mean, biased. Uh, so, so what I see is, uh, for example, um, on social media, uh, there are certain publications that if they post something, people will take it for, for truth, right? Uh, they will not look into it. Um, they will not um, try to push back against the information that is presented, they will just run with it. Um, and I say that because, uh, not to generalize everyone, but I've noticed that as a trend, um, I work with younger individuals in high schools and colleges, and their first source of resources, uh, I saw it on the internet, or I, yeah. I saw it on Instagram. Um, and then when you challenge them at times, um, it stops right there. Um, there is no actual belief behind it is more so this is the information that i found and this is what i'm working with mm. so i do believe that you know we can also formulate our own truths and and opinions um but uh i think that is the the issue or the question that uh the next generation is going to have to deal with with uh social media uh being such uh a heavily influence in their lives mm. Yeah, it does seem like people have lost the ability to evaluate and know because before like newspapers, they always had like a standard and like they had like, you know, it needed to be objective or things online that you could just search anything you want and you're going to get something to validate like a conspiracy theory or something that's not true. So it's kind of a, it's a, you know, it's definitely an interesting time. Yeah. And it's always been some element of that, but. Uh, at the same time, now it's amplified to the point where, you know, all this information on our fingertips and all that information is somehow tainted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And to add to that, right, maybe I'm getting too much into politics. Um, uh, you know, political parties also have uh, a play in that, right? Uh, because mm. if you are a Democrat and the Democratic Party is um, pushing an idea, uh, usually the party members are going to follow it, right? Even yeah. if it's, they're wrong, right? Uh, just like, uh, for example, the insurrection that occurred in uh, January. Um, people were trying to defend uh, or trying to rationalize that that act was not as heinous as uh, other acts that have of terrorism. So, mm. You know, I believe or from what I've seen, uh, people will follow parties and ideas before they create their own 
understanding of what's going on and what they believe to be uh, acceptable and, and not acceptable. You know, it's yeah. unfortunate that when we talk about being political, we're talking about being party political. You know, it seems like so much of politics have become confused party politics yeah. rather than, you know, trying to advocate for our own, our community's rights and our own community's empowerment. Politics has become a game of like, you know, party allegiance rather than, you know. Yeah, it's kind of vote the know. party ticket yeah. and it, where it should be issue by issue. Like yeah. it shouldn't be just, you know, you should be evaluate everything that's going on. But I mean, ideally, but who has the time to, yeah. you know, to spend that much time. You know, going through each, and then what? What is a Republican agree agree with one issue with the, someone in the opposing party? It's like, what are you going to do? Vote for that person just because that one issue? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem to make sense. You know? Yeah, and and then it's also uh, a cultural and family thing as well, right? Uh, if your family is all Republican, are you going to be the brave one that yeah. steps out and says, you know what? I'm a Democrat now. I'm I'm far left, or I believe. Um, and, uh, some of their ideals. And so, you know, the pressure of community also kind uh, weighs in, uh, I, I believe in people's decision makings and who they align themselves with. Um, yeah. so I, these are the things that we're dealing with, uh, unfortunately. So this is the truth to power show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm here with co-host Cole Malison and special guest Kofi Antwi. Uh, so we're talking a little bit about your writing as well. We're going to ground it back in your writing. Before we get to, re- I'd love you to read a sample of your work. But once before we get to that, um, I want to talk about what experiences do you reflect on that were watershed moments in your process, and how the training, you know, how the training with your writing has been able to influence you. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I usually tend to reflect about uh, my experience uh, during. My MFA, uh, creative writing, uh, that particular process, uh, I was able to uh, join a diverse writing um, community. Um, and I think that's where my experience um, as a writer started to transform. Um, I believe the process of being in a collective is, is helpful especially in the learning stages. Uh, and I needed that at the time. So uh, my experience in my MFA program, I think that was my most valuable experience that I had as, as a young writer. Um, but I also remember my time as, uh, as an undergrad student. Um, I was uh, in community with um, writers that were from the South Bronx, from Harlem, Brooklyn, um, and that was my first opportunity to experience spoken word uh, within a small community. Um, so I think the experiences that I've had as a writer, also now as a published author, um, has transformed my, my, my experience and my process writing. Um, now uh, I find myself writing by myself. Uh, I'm not in part of like groups anymore. Uh, I have moved from Staten Island, New York. So now I am finding a new community uh, of writers and readers. Um, so I guess that experience will um, also shape how um, I return to the page and work as a writer. Did you 
get interested in writing in college or was it before that or when? Um, so I would say more so that I was always interested in storytelling. Okay. Um, and, and as we stated, I believe my love for hip hop had created that, um, thought in my mind, uh, that I could become a writer. Uh, so before I became a poet or someone that was writing novels and short stories, um, I saw myself as someone who just loved hip hop, someone that loved to play with lines. I would always search up, uh, I would go on Google and, and type up my favorite artists like Nas or DMX, and I would see the lyric sheets and I would see, see the, how they created, um, in poetry it would be stanzas, right? How they create their lines for their, their bars and stuff like that. Um, so storytelling was my entry into writing, I believe. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't we listen a little bit to one of your poems or two of your poems, uh, select something from a uh, tidal wave if you like, or if you like something new, uh, it'll leave it up to you. So, um, yeah, you can just introduce it from tidal wave. Yeah. All right. So, I will be reading from Tidal Wave. Um, uh, so the first poem that I want to read, a poem that I haven't read in a while, um, it is titled Discovery. Um, let's get into it. Discovery. Mankind leaps past galaxies, an odyssey, distance, self and or mind, yet again has found home, delivering although absent, indifferent, Attest gravity's relations, matter and time. What is today's mathematics, physics, knowledge of self, bear one's burden, adherence, a drunk kin we grow to detest, judge, calculated space. It takes distance to apply data on earth, yet one must cope with reality, board cosmic flights, Silence, entrapped syllables, release oxygen. There seems to be an everlasting tug of war between toxins and memory, both entering, never washing away one's pain. All right, so yeah, that is Discovery. Um, that is one of the earlier poems that I wrote when I was uh, constructing Tidal Wave. Uh, it started off as a sonnet, and then um, I guess I'm talking about the form of the poem. Um, it started off as a sonnet, and then I started to mess around with the structure. I turned it into a tracet, uh, the forms, where it's three lines, um, and each each line, even though enjambments are not used in the poem, it it kind of gives the the reader that kind of space, but also that brevity to jump right back into the next line. Mm. Uh, and I believe Tidal Wave has that sense of not tone, um, but structure and uh, brevity within the poems. So, Discovery is a, a poem that I hold close to me. Excellent, excellent. Very beautiful poem, yeah. Why Very don't you read one more? All right, so I'll read one more. <laughs> I have a, a writing retreat later on today. Uh, 
it's been a two two day writing retreat, uh, and it has kind of like taken over my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and today's the second day, so uh, let's get into uh, one, another one of my favorites. You know what? I'll read a different poem. Uh, a letter from Nola. Before I get into the poem, um, I traveled to New Orleans in 2018 with my wife and my two close friends, uh, Antonio and uh, Sherelle. Sherelle was also from New Orleans, so she was my tour guide. Um, throughout that time that we spent in New Orleans, I was able to uh, travel the city and see, you know, the local people and see the music, the, the jazz, uh, the Creole, uh, the food that they had there. The culture is just uh, amazing, uh, to say the least. Uh, so let's get into the poem, A Letter from Nola. First one cracks, then penetrates, ruby shells, slings, lyrical dope, outcast artists parlays, levies mourn hope. Poverty continues to flood, and outer crust remains tarnished, baby. It's a neighbor jaded as distant memory, array of pastel buildings, recount catastrophic events, thumbing her pain, time recalls history. Symphonies of horns escape forgotten lips. Here they come marching, elusive spunk, who that natives of common land, cemeteries float, past poverty line, tourists lounge within French quarters, salvating over Cafe de Man, baguettes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, yeah, and then let's continue the conversation. We're talking a little bit about, um, you know, when you think about uh, civic works, or we, we mentioned about music, but also other civic works or philosophies that uh, have changed your view of the world. Um, so like when you think about, um, bodies of work or, or, uh, literature or in poetry specifically, uh, what is, uh, what has really influenced your impact on your worldview? Um, literature, I would say, uh, James Baldwin, um, Amiri Baraka po poetry as well, uh, Langston Hughes. Uh, Robert Hayden, but James Baldwin's work, um, I think, has always spoke to me as soon as I picked up the pen and as soon as I started to read his his work. Um, I started to think outside of the box um, and how I could use my voice um, from someone that was a com from a community that is marginalized. Right. Um, and I believe James Baldwin uh, used his voice to confront uh, the social conditions that were not only uh, stifling black and brown people in America, uh, but he used his message, uh, his work to confront and also create questions. Uh, so whenever I write, um, I shouldn't say whenever I write, um, but when I'm trying to convey something in my poetry or my writing, I also want to question myself or my surroundings and my community. Um, and James Baldwin, besides his work as a writer, as a social critic, uh, he was fearless. Uh, 
Um, he not only wrote stories that addressed um, social conditions, but he also wrote about how the inner city's families were connected um, and how that we have similar um, strifes. Uh, and I think one short story of his, I mean, there's so many of his work, uh, The Fire Next Time, uh, but a short story that I usually teach um, in my English courses is Sonny's Blues. Um, and that direct correlation of family uh, and growing up in the, in the 80s where jazz and blues uh, in the 70s as well was prevalent. Um, the connections of the despair, um, I think, that's what grabbed me into his work. Um, and I always find something new when I'm reading James Baldwin's uh, um, work. Uh, so I, I would say James Baldwin, that, that's who I um, lean on heavily when I find myself um, questioning what's going on around me uh, and how I could present my work in different mediums. Uh, I usually revisit James Baldwin's books or some of his interviews. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Some of his novels are, are great to another country. I read years ago. Those are you know, a really good book. Can you say that again? Another country, the, the novel. Yes. That one I read years ago and it, it was something I should reread. It's really good. Yes. Um, James Baldwin. Uh, <laughs> the, the, there is, the affinity that I have for his 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 work is um, is unmatched. Uh, even some of my friends that tend not to read literature, if I present some of his work to him to them, uh, some of my friends and family, I notice they usually respond different to his work than uh, say if I present someone else. Uh, I don't want to name someone else, but just in general. Um, and, and that's helped me uh, create this conversation that I have with friends that may not read literature. Um, yeah. And it keeps me kind of connected with them as well. Yeah. And then um, also, it seems like uh, you, you're saying you were teaching as well. You're teaching James Alden as well. And uh, when you're teaching, like, and as you're saying, with sharing his work, um, you know, sometimes it's not even needed for you to, you know, this work speaks to itself, of course, but for young, stu younger students, uh, sometimes, you know, it's easy to kind of, uh, for younger students to not connect or have that problem with connecting. So how do you scaffold, um, their learning and what do you hope? Uh, how do you like, uh, in what way, like, you know, it's, it's, you know, some people believe it's either you get it or you don't, but you know, there's, a, there's a way definitely for uh, a bridge to be formed between any given work and, and the, 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 the student who may be, you know, kind of not be able to access it at first. So what are some techniques you use to be able to break through those, that apathy barrier? Um, so there are two things that I, I think I would focus on it, is synthesizing their work, uh, reading uh, the work in class together. Yeah. Uh, so we could be able to... Um, not only synthesize, but see those literary components that are being used, right? Mm -hmm. Like metaphor in Sonny's Blues. Uh, in the beginning of the short story, James Baldwin 
discusses or, or conveys how this water has been building up, right? And it's the tension that he has between him and his brother. Um, and he uses that throughout Sonny's Blues. Um, and he will discuss it as, you know, ice or sometimes how the precipitation has been built up. Uh, there's so many different uh, uh, annotations that I have from Sonny's Blues. But so that that would be one, right? While we're in class, we'll identify those literary components. Uh, but then I will also bring in something that's current, right? Say, for example, like Colin Kaepernick, right? Uh, uh, let's say maybe three or four years ago, I would bring in an interview that is discussing like the social conditions that um, black and brown people are going through today. Uh, so they could see that, you know, the parallels between uh, someone that is uh, in the eye of pop culture or, or, or uh, society today and how those issues are still prevalent today as, you know, the ones that James Baldwin was discussing in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah, that's a really great technique because I think it's important to feel like not to for the student to feel like it's relevant to them and relevant to their situation and relevant to the current situation, if you will, uh, the current predicaments of, of our of our communities that's very good um and also continuing on that um when you share your writing with others uh what do you hope that the right the reader will like you know a lot of times people think about writing with a reader in mind you know writing with a you know a reader in mind so um do you follow that and and, and to what extent do you feel like what do, what do you feel like you hope the reader will get from you um I, I believe when I first started to send my work out, um, I would place a little bit too much of an emphasis of what the reader was thinking about my work. Mm. Um, and that's a conversation that I had with one of my colleagues as well. And um, he knows me personally, and he was discussing how um, how sometimes as writers or artists, we lose our complete authentic voice and message because we are also funneling our writing through the scope of i hope the reader could understand this right does do they understand my language do they understand the delivery um or the slang that i may use or the offhand uh remarks that uh are prevalent within my community right yeah. uh, and sometimes i know if the work is not for that medium or that subject or for that audience, uh, I may, you know, tinker with that. But someone that is also want to preserve an authentic voice, um, I try to create this boundary between me and the reader. Um, I know that the reader is there, but I also have to be conscious of how I am creating my own writing um, and keeping myself in so, sort of like a boundary or a bubble. Um, yeah, I kind of agree that if you write too much to an audience, you're kind of, you know, trying to catch on a trend or catch on something that's like in fashion or a fad. But it seems like if you write your own voice, that's, that that'll be more genuine and authentic. So I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you don't want to chase cliches, right, and, and, and trends, right? Because then um, who are you as an artist or a writer? Are you just mimicking what 
the people want to hear, uh, the general public. Um, and that wouldn't be helpful for me as a someone that is a Black African-American individual uh, if I did not discuss the social conditions that are going on in my community and this country and worldwide, um, I would feel, I wouldn't feel uh, complete. Um, yeah. I, I would feel that I'm not addressing things that are concerning people's livelihoods, right? Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes as writers uh, of color, we have more um, responsibility when it, when you're discussing social issues. Yeah, it seems like we want to get to that point where we're we're not feel, making the reader feel comfortable. We're not making them feel unwelcome, but we're making them feel a little uncomfortable, like a little bit kind of challenging them a little bit, telling the reader a little bit, so that then they can listen truly and deeply. So that then those kind of ways in which we have the already hearing, already seeing, you know, we're kind of like phasing out is is disruptive. We're kind of breaking the ice of apathy by making them feel uncomfortable, making them feel a little bit like displaced in their their in their um complacency you know that we understand there are things going on in the world that you know are more um are bigger than all than each of us individually right you say that you're kind of connecting with that um yeah and it seems like that's something that you know in regards to like practices that are atypical or you know one of the one of the interview question pre-interview questions i have is about you know, what do you do that you think is like off the, uh, kind of different from your industry, you know, different from or, or atypical from or, or somewhat, um, unpopular within your industry? Um, we talk a little bit about that and how among poets or among other writers, among teachers, um, how do you do something that's slightly like what you observe as being like unpopular? Um, I, I guess which is reiterating what we've been discussing today, um, um, being fearless. Uh, um, For example, um, I I remember maybe two or three years ago, I presented uh, a Black Panthers documentary to my class where most of my students are affluent um, students, right? Um, That are not from Black and Brown communities. And um, I could, read the room and I could tell that it may have not connected with certain individuals. Um, But like we stated, writing for um, an audience, sometimes that um, that doesn't get the message across. Um, And especially during Black History Month, um, I, I would want to present that work of the Black Panthers or civil rights movement or, you know, anything that has to do with Black liberation and and, and amplifying Black artists. Um, so I, as a professor or educator, um, is firm with my, my choice of creating this curriculum that supports uh, this, I, I wouldn't say radical uh approach but some people would look at it as um outdated or may not be uh needed today um but i think that's something that separates me from my peers as a educator um i am 
unfazed by um, what others may think about the topics that I present to my class. Because in my classes, I, I do want my students to think outside of the box um, and also discuss social issues that are going on today and, and currently. Um, so when I when I do receive emails from some of my old students, uh, especially uh, after the pandemic and the social uprise, um, I started to see emails from some of my older students uh, saying, you know, I was happy I took your course during that time. I really wasn't feeling uh, certain subject matters, but now seeing what's going on, um, I feel that I have a better understanding of where we were coming from and where we are today. So, um, and and sometimes you won't get that email, right? Or sometimes you won't get that acknowledgement and I'm okay with that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, it's important to kind of not rely on, um, you know, kind of, you know, just to hear that inner voice, hear that, the rely on the inner voice that you're doing the right thing, you're doing the, you're leading the, the students down the right path. And whether or not they acknowledge it at that moment that they're receiving that insight, they'll we trust that, you know, later on in their life, they'll look back on it and realize, as you're saying, that these are kind of pivotal moments in their own thinking process. And they're able to, um, you know, in a way, kind of reinforce uh, things that, that will manifest later in their life, you know, like, you know, plant those seeds, planting those seeds, if you will. That right. ultimately we hope will will flourish and kind of, yeah. Um, so now some more other questions have to do with. Uh, it was interesting to me, like when we think about valuable failures and and when we think about valuable failures or valuable successes, even. But we, we we tend to focus a little bit more on successes, but in general. But we want to talk a little bit about failures and how that that, that we can get something out of that, uh, even if it didn't succeed the way we wanted it to. So you had an interesting answer to this question because, you know, of the perceptions we have of you up to this point in the interview, you know, with being a poet and being a, a, a man of letters, uh, what you wanted as a teenager was slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, um, I wanted to be a professional football player. Um, I saw myself being drafted by the New York Giants. Um, I loved football. All my friends that I played uh, in the community with played football. Um, I went to uh, MSIT, which is a key in Staten Island Tech. Uh, some of my friends went to Poor Richmond High School. Some went to Wagner. So if you're from Staten Island, you're familiar with these names that I'm saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so um, yeah, with that being said, I, I wanted to be a football player. I thought I was going to be a professional football player. Um, I remember my senior year in high school um, tearing my um, ACL. Um, Ouch. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. That that was rough for me. Um, and uh, so my freshman year in college, um, I tried out for the football team, but my leg was just completely done. Um, so that's when I realized I had to pivot um, and figure out what I was going to do once I was in college. Um, and I started to rely on reading more um, before I started writing. Um, and I think that injury uh, propelled me uh, to observe my surroundings because uh, it gave me the opportunity to be still for the moment and start to think uh, besides football and sports, like what am I going to do as a young man? Um, 
and I've always been interested in uh, social topics. Um, so I used that opportunity while I was uh, hurt to, you know, start reading more. Um, and then eventually I started to write. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. How do you, I think that sports play an important role on like development and, um, you know, just activity. Cause now it, it seems like a lot of kids are inactive, like video games and like sedentary. So I think that any type of sports or the background, you can move on to other parts of your life, you know? Yeah. You learn a lot, I think from sports, uh, you know, I'm the, the low level that I practice on, you know, and you learn a lot from it in, in life and in, in cooperation and all these kinds of things. What were some of the lessons you think that you took from it? What are some of the things you think you took from it or takeaways? Yeah. You know, football is such a grueling sport. Um, you do learn that, you know, you're uh, through this uh, collision sport that um, you're going to be knocked down uh throughout the game throughout the time you're practicing playing and loving the sport um and you have to figure out how you're going to get yourself back up and um complete that task um so i, I think i carry that relentless approach uh as a writer and as an educator um and uh how i am i, I wouldn't now i feel like i'm tooting my own horn saying that i'm fearless but um I do feel that way when I'm approaching uh, subject matters that some people may deem uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so I believe, you know, football did prepare me for um, who I am today as a writer, um, someone that has that uh, consistency to work on their craft, right? Because as football players, um, even during the off season, they're still working, right? They're either working out, they're training, they're lifting weights, uh, they're reviewing tape. Uh, so football players, they're training and playing throughout the whole year. They may sit out one one month, just like writers, right? Uh, they may take a little vacation, but they're working writers. We're, we're, we're back. We're right back at it. Thank you. So uh, before we, as you start to wind down, I just want to quickly give you a couple of announcements. Listening to Radio for Brooklyn, independent listener supported radio. Uh, this is the Truth to Power show. Um, if you'd like to listen to Radio for Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile apps, iPhone or Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or Android, Google Play Store for Android. Um, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at radioforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Um, you know, obviously this, this, Pandemic has been disrupting uh, lives, and Radio for Brooklyn is no exception. I uh, want you to know we made uh, every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our hosts, staff, and community at large. And uh, with most of our interview stream evaporated, we need your help. We realize you may be hurting too, but if you can afford a small donation, it'll go a long way to helping us stay in the air. The other three is you can help. First, you can give a one-time donation, a monthly donation, a monthly pledge by going to radioforbrooklyn.org/donate. They can find some great T-shirts, mugs, and other swag. I'd like to send you to say thanks. You can also use your phone to text RFB123 to 44321. I'll take only a moment and I'll give you, you'll be able to use your digital wallet for your donation. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, um, you can go to amazon.com slash smile and register Radio for Brooklyn as your nonprofit you wish to support. When you do or present your sales, we'll go to RFB and it'll cost you nothing. 
No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We wish you our listeners health and happiness as we weather this storm together. Thank you so much. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about where we can follow you and where we can uh, buy your work? Yeah, so you can, uh, uh, everyone could purchase, or uh, anyone could purchase my book, Tidal Wave, uh, from Amazon. As you see, this book has been through the gamut right yeah. now. I've been reading this at different reading series and uh, different publications and performances. So you could find this on Amazon, uh, Kofi Antwi, Tidal Wave. And you could also find it on my website, kofiantwi.net. Um, and you could find me on Facebook, Kofi Antwi. Um, Instagram, um, I believe it is Kofi Antwi underscore. Um, and I use my Twitter here and there. I'm not as uh, active on my Twitter as I am on Facebook and in- Instagram. Uh, but my Twitter is also Kofi Antwi underscore as well. Thank you, thank you. So any last thoughts you'd like to leave us with uh, as we start to wind down? We have like about four more minutes, five more minutes. So any last thoughts of things that you want, you hope the the listeners will take from all this or that you want to give to the listeners? Yeah, um, I would like to say thank you to VJ uh, for having me on on your show, uh, Truth to Power. Um, I believe as writers, uh, educators, uh, people that want to see a difference in our society um, to use their voice uh, or amplify someone else's voice that is trying to create change. Um, I believe that change is going to come from the next generation. So it is up to us to um, present work as artists that is going to inspire them to amplify our voices. Yeah, it's so important to like, you know, know and discern, you know, it's like we have like echo chambers getting put up uh, on the thing. And, you know, it's like uh, in our society, it's like we're just ample. We're, we're not um, listening care- critically. We're, we're kind of just repeating, whereas amplifying is slightly different from just being a yeah, echo like chamber. Sound bites. You know? A lot yeah, of sound, sound bites. bites like, yeah. You know, like but phrases. We have, yeah, we have genuine voices. We want to amplify those genuine voices, honest voices, as we've been discussing in the show. Those yeah. voices that really have the truth there and amplify those voices as opposed to just repeating, you know, kind of are echoing uh, things. Yeah. Yes. Thank, thank you for uh, clarifying that as well, because we do not want uh, the next generation to amplify voices that are trying to uh, create uh, dis- destruction yeah. <laughs> and, and, and disaster. Exactly. Our- exactly. Yeah. So that's good. So, thank you so much. And Colin, any last thoughts? I uh, know it's very, very, I learned a lot about writing. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the show. Great, great. So people can find out more about the show in general um, at radioforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power. See our last uh, archive of episodes. Uh, Nine Cloud Journal issue two was just released. So you can go to ninecloudjournal.org, which I'm the editor of, um, ninecloudjournal.org uh, slash issue two. And the number two, uh, issue, issue two with number two. And you can see, you can look through, peruse our issue two, as well as uh, buy it on Amazon um, if you like. Uh, and find out more about me at vjrnathan.com, vijayrnathan.com. So thanks so much. Um, and yeah, and then, uh, yeah, thanks so much for being here, Kofi. Thank you. Thank, thank you.
All right. Peace. Peace out. Thank you. You still have a minute, though. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Take care. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you.